Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24 is the main text for today's sermon, and it's very simple. In fact, all of today's sermon is very simple. Uh, I'm a simple man, and I like simple things, and I like simple and clear instructions. And we see all of that in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24. It says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. Well, sure. If you want to have friends, you better be a friendly person. So let's test our friendship today by testing our friendliness and see how friendly we have become. Let's pray. Father, my prayer is over the next few moments as we study this passage and others, as we look 3,000 years into the past of the ancient literature, inspired by your Holy Spirit to the man Solomon, that you would teach us as we touch into several passages in the New Testament to talk about how to gain and maintain good friendships, I pray that you would give us clarity. Also, God, I pray for application. I pray that you would apply these ancient truths to the lives in this room, myself and my friends. Help us to see truth today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said before, I'm a simple man, therefore I like Simple and clear instructions, and YouTube has become the go-to place for simple and clear instructions. How many of you, is this true for you? Is this true for you? You ever go to YouTube and type in how to, and then some video comes up? How many have ever gone to YouTube for instructional video? Raise your hand. Several of you. Okay, sure. This is what we do. We don't need books anymore. We have YouTube, and um, YouTube will tell us everything we need to know about every, if you want to fix your, if you want to fix your, your garbage disposal, just type it in, YouTube, fix garbage disposal, and there it'll be. If you want to know how to learn how to tie a tie, you just go and tie a tie, and there'll be a guy showing you how to tie a tie. You want to learn how to raise your children, type in, raise your children, right? <laughs> it'll, tell, it'll spit out video, guy will be telling you. If you want to know how the Illuminati is in charge of everything. Just type in Illuminati and you'll be, you'll, three weeks will pass by and you'll never, uh, some of you are like, oh, he's finally going to talk about it. I'm not. I, it's, just, <laughs> it's not a thing and you need help and I love you. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, more emails. Good. Good. All right. <laughs> YouTube videos. <laughs> They're all, they're a lot of fun. And so right this, this will be on YouTube. This will be on our YouTube page later. And somebody's going to type in how to make good friends. And maybe this will pop up. Maybe that's how you're watching right now. And today I am going to share with you how to make good friends. But it's not simply my experience. It's not simply my thoughts that I'm going to share. There's some ancient biblical wisdom from uh, Solomon, from the New Testament as well. Some truths, some ideas that can help you understand how to make good friends. Now, it's amazing because these aren't just ancient truths from an old king. They are inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and they have been preserved for us in the Holy Scripture. And so what we study today, though simple and clear, it's not unimportant. Some of you will walk out today saying, man, I got to tell you, that was the most simple sermon I've ever heard. That wasn't very deep. And, And I'm not trying to be deep today. I'm trying to be applicable. Some of you will say, man, these are some great truths for some teenager. Some teenager needs, my teenager, my grandchild, my son, my daughter. You. Say me. Me. Say me. Me. Say I need these truths. All right, so let's go ahead and learn them today. Today is a simple sermon. Number one, how to get them. Number one, how to get them. Say, how to get what? How to get good friends. 
Proverbs chapter 18 gives us good indication. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Friendly. So, if we're going to be very simple, how to get them, let's start with be friendly. This is all under the first point, how to get them. Here's the first thought under that point, be friendly. Here's the second thought under that point, be available. Here's the third part under that point, be aggressive. All under the first point. Let's talk about how to be, how to get, how to get them and be friendly. All right, let's talk about be friendly. If a man is going to have friends, he must himself be friendly. One of the best ways you can start to be friendly with people is to smile. Can you smile? Let me see you smile. Let me see you smile. You're trying. Photofu is trying so hard. There it is. There's a smile. Some of you are trying, and it's under your mask, but I can see your eyes. Your eyes go up when you smile, and that's okay. Have you noticed that? You're out there, you got your mask on, you still want to smile at somebody, and your eyes, you're like, oh, I can smile with my eyes. Some of you are like, no, I've never even tried that. You need to smile more. You know, it's very difficult to be friendly if you have an angry scowl, and you'll never have friends if you live with an angry scowl on your face. The problem is some of us are unaware of our angry scowl on our face. Some of us are unaware that we don't look friendly to people. We're scaring people. Now, some of you are fully aware that you're scaring people and you like it. Stop it, stop it, stop. You're not a representative of yourself. You're a representative of Jesus Christ. And where Jesus went, he was friendly, friendly. I had a woman years and years ago at our church, a wonderful godly woman, and she would turn in her weekly uh, uh, connection card, which we ask each and every one of you to do. Turn in your weekly connection card, and on the back there are prayer requests. And often, I, I believe at least once a month, she would write on there, Pastor, pray that God would give me a friend. Pastor, pray that God would give me a friend. And I would. I'd pray that God would give her a friend until God one day told me, you need to talk with her about one of the big issues. You say, what was the big issue? She was always appearing angry. Now, she wasn't angry in her heart, but her face expressed what was not in her heart. Love was in her heart. Joy was in her heart. But her face didn't know it because there was a disconnect between her heart and her face. Her face was this, or her heart was this, and her face was this. And I remember I sat across from her and she said, just pastor, pray that God would give me a good friend. And, I, and it was really hard because sometimes pastors have to say difficult things. And I said, are you, are you, are you, are, are you, are you, and I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, are, are you aware that you, are you aware that you're, are you aware that you're not, are you aware that you look angry all of the time? <laughs> I said, have you considered smiling more? Hand to God, I'll never forget. She looked across, she said, I always smile. <laughs> no, 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 you don't. In fact, I'm a little scared right now. A little. <laughs> smile more. One of the best ways to smile more and to be friendly is to get out of your own head. This is the problem. The reason we express anxiety is because we're anxious. We walk into a room and we're just not sure whether you're a 13-year-old girl walking into a cafeteria for the very first time. People can see how scared you are. Or whether or not you're a 45-year-old man or woman that walks into church and you're thinking, everybody's looking at me. Nobody's looking at you. Nobody cares. <laughs> no, it's true. I, I love my dear sisters. I preach a lot to men. Let me talk to my dear sisters for a moment. My dear sisters, a lot of you come into a place like this and you think, oh my goodness, you know. What are people thinking of my clothes? And what are people thinking of my hair? And what are people thinking of my, my shoes? What do they think of my shoes? The answer is, there is no other woman thinking about what you're wearing because they're all wondering what others are thinking about what she's wearing. <laughs> Nobody cares. Nobody. 
Nobody cares. So just calm down, calm down. You're in your own head. You're in your own head too much. And it's hard to be friendly when you're so stuck in the maze of your own mind. Instead, you gotta be like a, this is gonna be offensive to some, you gotta be like a, you, you're, you, gotta be a you gotta be like a dog. You, you know what I mean, a friendly dog? who doesn't, you know, there's never been, I was sitting at Starbucks this morning, I'm drinking my coffee, and there's a big window outside, and you can see, it's really pretty, uh, you can see there was a man sitting there, and he had this big, beautiful dog, a uh, Malmanuk, is that what it's called? A Mumanak, uh, what is it called? <laughs> a, Mary, a, Mary, a Mary Poppins, a Malmanute, whatever it is. It was a big, fluffy dog, giant dog, like a scary big dog, but it looked like the friendliest dog. The man sitting there with this dog, and, and as I'm sitting there, this, this man, all of a sudden, his friend came to visit him. And this dog recognizes this man's friend. And as soon as he did, the dog's ears perked up, his tail began to wag, he jumped up on his feet, and he ran as far as he could where the leash would hold him back. And he jumped on this 50-year-old man, and the man just like got that big smile on his face. You know, and the man literally, it was such a big dog, it pushed him back into the chair and the dog is on him and he's licking his face and, and the man's like, stop it, stop it. And he's just loving, like I'm looking at this man and he's experiencing such joy. This man is having the best moment of his week right now. Why? Because here's this dog. You know what the dog was not thinking? The dog was not thinking, I hope my coat is shiny. Is my coat shiny? Do people accept me for who I am? Do I wag my tail well? I hope other, others like how I wag my tail. I hope, they, I hope they appreciate my tail. I've been working on my tail wag for... The dog is just happy. He's happy, he likes you, and he wants you to know, I like you, ah, that's it. That's how to be friendly. That's how to be friendly. Now look, some of us, some of us have, have become so critical of, of even people like that we think, are they real? Is that real to them? And so you have a hard time getting out of your own head about judging others about them being friendly. You just have to stop all that. You just have to smile more. You have to be friendly. You have to be genuine in this. Ask about them, don't talk about you. Ask about them, don't talk about you. When we talk about being friendly, didn't you learn when you started dating that dates seem to go well the more you talked about them rather than talking about yourself, right? If you go to a date and you're like, let me tell you about how great I am, there's never a second date. But if you talk about them, something happens. They become at ease and comfortable, and they feel comfortable in their own skin. They unconsciously begin to like you and have a fondness for you because you're interested in them, not simply interested in yourself. So be friendly by smiling, getting out of your head, own head, ask about them. Stop being so disagreeable. You ever come across people extremely disagreeable? They argue about everything? If you haven't, go on Facebook. They're all there. <laughs> they visit Facebook, but they live on Twitter. That's where they live. They have, a, they have an apartment. They live there. Constantly disagreeable. You know, you know the type of person? Their favorite word is actually. <laughs> actually. Right? They're not even in the conversation and somebody says some kind of historical fact or idea or scientific, like, actually, they have to constantly insert themselves to make sure everybody knows that they are the supreme knowledge of all things. Actually, you know, you mentioned Buddha. Actually, did you know the real Buddha was not actually fat, actually? <laughs> and you're like, okay, thank you for that. 
You talk about Vikings, you know, Vikings actually, actually Vikings didn't have horns on their helmet at all, actually. You mentioned horns, I thought you should know actually. <laughs> actually, Napoleon wasn't all that short, actually, for his time and age. Actually, Napoleon was relatively the right, actually, this is why you have no friends. <laughs> like, stop. Look, look, I know, listen to me. I know, I, I know the way you are, listen to me. I know the way you are because I am like you. Stop. It's not, because he knows me. Jordan's a, a friend and he knows me. Stop it. It's not, it's not nice. I love to get in a good argument. The problem is we like to argue with people that aren't even close to us. And that's why they'll never be close to you. You make them feel uncomfortable on social media and in real life. So stop with the actually and start saying the word really? Really? Well, that's interesting, really? Friendly, be friendly, be friendly. It's amazing that I'm having to teach Christians how to be friendly. <laughs> you don't represent you, you represent somebody else. Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah? How to get them, be friendly. How about be available? Here's the second thought. This is just the second thought in the first point. Be available. You can't be, you can't get friends if you're not around people. This is why the homeschool child really does struggle this last year. The homeschool child has really struggled maintaining friends because they're not with people. Have you noticed this in your own home? It's not easy. This is why the long-term homeschooling child has a hard time making good. Don't talk about homeschoolers, Pastor. I'm a homeschooler. Chill out. Relax, Karen. Okay. No, seriously. Don't be offended. I can talk about homeschoolers all I want. I was homeschooled. I was homeschooled in kindergarten, in first grade, in second grade, third grade, all the way to high school. I was homeschooled through high school. The first time, yeah, that explains a lot. That's really, you know, I, this anti-homeschool mentality is not very, I was homeschooled all the way through. The first time I sat in a, in, a, in a classroom was in college, and then in seminary and grad school. That's when I sat in classrooms. I was homeschooled that entire time. And this is what we learned as homeschoolers. If you did not get out of your home, you did not make friends. You have to get out in the community. You have to get out to the parks. You have to go to the library. You have to go to youth group. You have to go to, uh, you have to, go to church. You have to go to the children's programs. You have to go to Kidopolis. Some of you homeschool, and then you bring your kids in here. They never see a child. They're walking through Walmart. They're like, there's a little person. They're like me. I didn't know there were people like me. You're like, get them out. You know what I mean? So you have to be available. This happens sometimes with women. They, they're raising the early childhood. They're raising their children, but then they're working full time. Their schedule is, is out of control. And that's a wonderful thing. You're able to work full time and take care of the children. But there needs to be some availability time for you and your friends, your girls. There really does. You have to prioritize this to make this happen. This happens for men. Men who work all week long, but they sit down and they watch television for 40 hours a week. That television is not your friend, you see? It's not your friend. It's your best friend, but that just occasionally. But doesn't it feel that way? Because your television only tells you what you want it to say, and you're just able to skip through. But sometimes men need to be available to others. You need to make, be available to others. Now, let me just mention this. Some of you think, I don't need new friends. I have my spouse. My husband's my friend. That's the only friend I need. Oh, sister, you got to stop putting him under that kind of pressure. <laughs> I talk with men. I'm telling you, I talk with men. I talk with a lot of men in preparation as I wrote this book. A lot of men are like, my best friend is my wife. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? 
What some men mean by that is my wife is my only friend because I have social anxiety and I don't want to make friends. I don't want to be around other men. And so all of the social pressure that you experience in life, you put on one other person. Can I tell you, not one other person in this world can be your savior, your functional Messiah. This is what causes a lot of conflict in marriage is because there's social pressure that is not meant for your spouse alone. This is how it practically works out. Some guy buys a shotgun. He goes home to tell his wife about his shotgun. Hey, check out this shotgun! And his wife is like, all right. It's a shotgun. You're like, but didn't you see how this shotgun has this barrel and this, this, them? Why don't you like my shotgun? Because she's a girl. I've sat in counseling where women will look across the thing at me and they'll be like, my husband doesn't communicate. And I'll say, what do you mean? I came home and I showed him my nail polish. I was, it was this beautiful green. I got this green nail polish. And I showed him and I said, what did he say? He said, nice nail polish. <laughs> he's a dude. You know what I mean? Like, he's a guy. What's he supposed to do? Here's what you need, sweetheart. You need some girlfriends to tell, uh, tell your nail polish. And, and you know what you need, guy? You need some men in your life, right? This is why we'll send you random text messages and emails, and it's like, join the men's group up at the firing range. You're like, I'm not sure I'm going to go. There's a new episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> like, just go. Like, go, you have to be available. You have to, and by the way, some of y'all are upset with me. Some of you women are upset with me because you're like, I like shotguns, relax, okay? I get it, you like shotguns. Some of you guys are like, I like nail polish. Okay, relax, <laughs> like, that's fine. We all like different things. We all like different things. And I'm not saying, I know you don't fall into this stereotype. What I'm saying is you cannot expect your spouse to be everything. You can't. So be aggressive, that's the third thought. It's all under the first point, how to get them. You gotta be aggressive. Once you decide you need a friend, go after a friend. Find them, point them out, put them in your sights and say, that's my new friend, and then go make them your friend. My mother gave me this advice. I was 12 years old, 12 or 13, 12 I think. And uh, my two best friends, my two best friends, Buddy Rigotti and another kid named Freddie, Anybody know, heard of that name before? Yeah, sorry. They, they both had moved on. Buddy had gone somewhere, and Freddie had gone out of our social circles, and I was 12 years old, and I didn't have any friends. And I was really sad, and especially when you have a close-knit group of friends. You don't have a lot of friends, just a few. You know what it's like to, to, to be alone. My Lego was empty. And I remember my mother, isn't it wonderful to have a godly mother, Amen. And my mother pulled me aside. I said, she said, what's going on with you? I said, all my friends are gone. All my, I have no friends. She said, this is what you do. She said, next time you go to youth group. We had a youth group like we do here every Sunday night for the teenagers. It's called The Ascent, where we have 75 to 100 teenagers come together. It's a beautiful thing every Sunday night. And she said, next time you go to youth group, you decide. You walk into that room, you look around, and you find the one person you think, that's a cool guy. I want to be his friend. And then tell yourself, that's a cool guy. I want to be his friend. Can you do that? I said, yeah. She said, then you say, Josh, you have to walk right up to that person, put out your hand and say, hi, my name's Josh. And tell yourself, this is my new friend. You just make him your friend. 
and they just hang around until they're your friend. <laughs> said, okay. I remember walking to the youth group that day. I was so nervous, so nervous, so nervous. I saw a kid across the way. His name was Jose Miano. He became my new best friend for the next six years of my life. Amazing. So be aggressive, be aggressive. You know what the Bible says about, about lions? Look at what this says. It says in, in Proverbs chapter 30, go ahead and go to that lion slide there. It says in Proverbs 28, the wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Why are the righteous able to have boldness? Here's why. Because the righteous man who has been saved by the grace of God, who has been sanctified by God's grace, his identity is in God and in Christ, what God thinks of him, not what others think of him. When he has that type of security and lacks insecurity, he can be bold as a lion because it doesn't matter if you don't like me because God likes me. So now I can be aggressive in pursuing friendship. And my dear sister, you ought to be the same way. My dear brother, you ought to be the same way. So how do we get friends, be friendly, be available, be aggressive? How do you keep them? Well, once you get them, you got to keep them. Isn't it terrible when you lose a good friend? So let's go on to point number two in the sermon today. Point number two, how to keep them. How to keep good friends. Well, if you're going to keep good friends, first of all, you got to be yourself. No one likes inauthenticity. No one likes someone who is not genuine. Nobody likes fake people. Say fake people. people. Nobody likes fake people. Nobody likes fake people. They want you to be real. They want you to be honest. They want you to be you. Be yourself. Now, I'm not saying validating your sin, right? What I'm saying is be yourself. If they like you, you don't have to be somebody else. You're just still you. I was 12 years old at the time. No, 13, 13, because it was 1993. Do the math, I'm 40 years old now. 1993, and I was very, very excited about, um, about going to camp. Summer camp was coming up. And I remember I had earned some money by mowing some lawns, and I went to Target, and the Target was just built on Rainbow and Spring Mountain. And I walked into that Target, and I had money in my pocket, and I was going to buy a T-shirt, and I saw the perfect T-shirt that I wanted. Jurassic Park had just come out. It's this cool Jurassic Park t-shirt with this uh, T-Rex on it, and that's right up my alley. I love Jurassic Park, the movie, but I also had read Jurassic Park by Michael Creighton and The Lost World by Michael Creighton as a 12-year-old. I loved these books. I loved the t-shirt. I'm like, that's my t-shirt. So I bought the t-shirt, went home, packed for camp, went to camp. As I'm sitting there at camp getting unpacked, I put on the t-shirt. My brother was there. My brother's two years older than me. He's 15 years old at the time. I put on my t-shirt. My brother said to me, what are you doing? I said, putting on my t-shirt. He said, take it off. I said, what do you mean? He said, you can't wear that. It's a Jurassic Park t-shirt. I said, what should I wear? He's standing there in a Bulls t-shirt, Chicago Bulls. And I said, he said, you should wear this or something like this. I said, why? He said, because the Chicago Bulls are cool. Jurassic Park is for nerds. (laughs) This was before nerd culture was cool. You understand? Now it's cool to be a nerd. But you remember the day? You remember the day. I know, James, you remember. Uh, You remember when being a nerd was not cool. Yeah, I know you do. All right. <laughs> and I remember he took out of his, his, his suitcase, threw a, a Bulls t-shirt at me. I, put on, I, took off my, I, took, I took it off. I took off my Jurassic Park t-shirt, put it aside. I put on my Bulls t-shirt, walked outside, pretended to like basketball. 
pretended to know who Scottie Pippen was and Dennis Rodman pretended, why? Because that's what was cool. And that's what 13 year olds do. They're too insecure to be honest about what they enjoy. But as we mature in life, we ought to be comfortable talking about what we like and who we are. I kind of wish I could go back and say, hey kid, why don't you keep, your, keep on your Jurassic Park t-shirt? And what's gonna happen is you'll find other kids who like Jurassic Park. And you won't have to pretend to know what a double dribble is. You know what I mean? Like all of that. Be, be yourself. Number two, how to keep your friends? Pause your schedule, pause your schedule. Pause your schedule. Pause it. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 17, ancient wisdom from Solomon inspired by God. A friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. A friend loves when it's convenient to love and a friend loves when it's inconvenient to love. A friend loves you whenever, when you give them a Christmas gift and a friend loves you whenever you call them to help you move. A friend loves you at two o'clock in the afternoon and a friend loves you at two o'clock in the morning. A friend loves at all times. If you're gonna keep good friends, you have to pause your schedule. When they're in the midst of the trial, you need to pause your schedule. You need to stop whatever you're doing and saying, I'm there for you. There are two or three people in my life I consider my best friends. There is a group of 10 to 12 people in my life that I consider my closest friends. No matter what they need, no matter the time of day, I will fly across the country to be there for them, you gotta have that in your life. Now you can't do that with everybody, but you can't do that with some. If you don't understand that concept of circles of friendship, I talk about that in chapter three. It's key to understanding all of this. How do you distinguish who's closest to you in life? Circles of friendship talk about this. Now look, look, look. When you have close friends and best friends, you have to be willing to pause everything and do what needs to be done. The Bible says a brother is born for the time of adversity. That means there are certain friends and family that are there for you and they're there for you specifically when it's the most difficult moment. We talked a lot about that last week, so we'll move on. How to keep them, be yourself, pause your schedule, practice confidentiality. Practice confidentiality. That means your friend can trust you. You know your friends need to be able to come to you and talk about things. Can they trust you? Or the moment you hear something, you turn around and tell it to another quote-unquote friend. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13 says, A tell-bearer reveals secrets, but he who is faithful spirit conceals the matter. Now, I'm not talking about concealing illegal activity, right? I just want to tell you, friend, come here, can I tell you something? I just buried somebody in the desert and... Uh, <laughs> If you're a real friend, you won't turn me in. Okay, this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about in general, your friends can trust you. They can trust you. Are you trustworthy? Could it be possible, hear me, and I know this part will be hard to hear for some. Could it be possible you don't feel very, very deeply close to some because you've proven yourself untrustworthy? Is it possible? Number four, Forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. How to keep good friends. You forgive them and you forget. Hey, if you've got good friends, I promise you, I promise you, they're going to offend you and you're going to be offended by them. They're going to say things to you and you're going to say things to them. And, and it's going to be like any close relationship in life. There's going to be conflict. Where there's closeness, there's also friction. How many have ever been married? 
That was a, that was a joke, but also serious. <laughs> That's what happens with a close relationship. There's friction, which means where there's friction, there needs to be the smoothing of the oil, right? There needs to be some forgiveness and some forgetting. So maybe it is right now. You're sitting in a situation in your world, your life, and you're like, they were close. What do I do? Forgive and forget. Say, I don't want that. Then you're constantly pushing people to that third and fourth circle. That's why people are not close to you or you're not close to them. Forgive and forget. Yeah, Ephesians talks about this. The Apostle Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, verse 32. I think it'll be on the screen, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You have a power to forgive like no one has a power to forgive because as a Christian, you've experienced forgiveness from God over and over. Are you this way? Has God forgiven you of a lot of sin? If God has forgiven you of a lot of sin, would you raise your hand? How many of you God has forgiven you of a lot of sin? Sure, which means you have so much forgiveness, you can give it to others as much as you want. Forgive and forget. You say, what do you mean forget? I'm not talking about, um, I'm not talking about those who are not your close friends, right? There's, this, there, there's a whole sermon I preach about forgive and how forget takes place with certain relationships. I'm talking about friendships. For close friendships, it should be forgive and forget. What does Christ do? What does God do with your sins? He not only forgives them, the Bible says, he remembers my sin no more. He buries it in the depths of the deepest sea. He separates your sin as far as the east is from the west. He takes your sin and places it behind the small of his back where he can no longer reach it. Yet what we like to do is we'd like to take the sins of our friends, package them up nicely, put them in a little chest so we can open it up and look at them every now and then and remind them. And every time you remind them, that's why they distance themselves from you. How about forgive and forget? Some of you are younger here. A lot of younger people come to our church. This is great information for you to practice now for your life. Here's number five. Be loyal. Be loyal. How to keep them? Be loyal. Loyalty is an undervalued virtue in American culture. And the reason it's undervalued is because we've, we've seen it. Um, we've seen it misused. And so we push against it. Plus, we're hyper-individualistic, so we think of ourselves as an individual, not as a collective. And so I don't need to be loyal to you. I will quickly trade my relationship with you for a new opportunity. You are less valuable than the new opportunity. So you're done. We're done. We're done. This is how we destroy true friendships. The Australian culture is very similar to the American culture. But in some ways, we do differ dramatically. I have a good friend. His name is Robert Bax. He's a pastor in Australia. He's a seventh-generation Aussie. And he's preached at our church, and I've preached at his. You know, he told me, he said, Josh, what's fascinating to me is that there are major differences between our cultures, though major similarities. He said one, similarity, one difference is he said the concept of friendship. I said, what do you mean? He said, Americans are your friend as long as they can get something from you or they can get something from you. That one of the ways. I can get something from you or you can get something from me. So we're, it's really about mutual partnership. 
but the moment I'm done with you, I'm done with you. We're not friends. And, and Americans understand business partnerships much more than we do friendship. This is why a lot of our marriages don't work, because you're not providing for me the, what was written in the contract, so we're done. He said, in Australia, there's a concept called mateship. I said, what is mateship? Like when somebody says, g'day, mate, they're not just saying mate, as in like another word for friend. It means something different in their culture. It means true blue. It means I am with you forever. You're my mate. So if you hurt me, we're still mates. If you turn your back on me, we're still mates. If your life falls apart, we're still mates. If you become a billionaire, we're still mates. If you end up in prison, this was his illustration, you end up in prison, you're still my mate and I'm going to come visit you because you're, you're my mate. And if anybody ever asks, forever you will be my mate. Loyalty. This is how to keep them. How to get them, how to keep them. Can I just say that one of the best ways you can do to get good friends and keep good friends is as a Christian, surround yourself with good Christian friends. This is one of the reasons why we develop small groups Southern Hills Church is not simply a place for you to come on Sunday morning and get some spiritual entertainment. Southern Hills Church is developed for the sole purpose of making disciples for Jesus Christ. And the only way I as your pastor and we as your community of pastors can help make you a disciple for Jesus is to get you around other disciples. Not in this room with a bunch of us, but in a small room with a few of us where you can share your concerns, your hopes, your dreams, your sins, your problems, your excitement, all of your successes, where you can get to know those people in that room. Small group. I want to encourage you practically to take that step if you have not yet done so. Let's move on to number three. How to get them, how to keep them, how to help them. If you have a friend, you want to help them. If you want to help them, say amen. amen. Yeah, how, do, how, how do I help them? Three, three thoughts and then we'll be done. Here it is. Pray for your friend. Pray for your friend. You ought to pray for them. Proverbs, uh, James chapter 5, verse 16 says, pray for one another. Christians ought to pray for one another. You ought to pray for your friend. That's why this week we are having a prayer group on, in Facebook. It's called Dangerous Prayer Week. This is why you can go and join this group. This is a photograph of the actual group you can find on Facebook. Go ahead and go to that slide there. It's called Dangerous Prayers, A Seven-Day Journey with Josh Tice. We're sharing in that group specifically all throughout the week how you can be in prayer for yourself, for your family, for your culture, for your society, for your nation, for the church, and for your friends. It's a private group where you can share, pray for my friend who is whatever it might be. You don't have to put names. You could just say, I've got a friend that I work with. Pray, pray for them. Are you praying for your friends? Here's another thought as I move on. What can I do to help my friends? Humbly confront your friend. Humbly confront your friend. Now, I don't have time, more than 60 seconds, to explain this point. So this is what I'm praying. I'm praying that if God has a friend in your life that you're supposed to confront, that God would bring to mind, even now, that person. Good friends confront good friends. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 tells us exactly how to do it. It tells us, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Confrontation is not anger. Confrontation is humbleness. It's humility coming to someone and saying, Hey, I I've noticed, um, brother, 
I've noticed in your life you haven't been walking with God the way you used to. Hey, I, I've noticed um, I haven't seen you in church in, in a year, which is understandable. We had the pandemic, but how can I help you get to walk with the Lord again? Who in your life does God calling you to lovingly, with humility and patience, a spirit of submissiveness, confront and say, I love you, so therefore, I need to say. Number three, number three, how can you help your friend? Lastly, number three here. Let's go and go to the next slide. There it is. Bring your friend to Jesus. Who is it right now that is alive that God wants you to bring to Jesus? For Andrew, it was his brother Simon. They were both fishermen. And Andrew one day, according to John chapter 1, went and saw Jesus, knew who Jesus was. And in John chapter 1 and verse 40, it actually tells us that Andrew, I think it'll be on the screen, in John chapter 1 and verse 41, it says, Andrew first found his own brother Simon and said unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being translated to Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Andrew meets Jesus first. Have you met Jesus if you're in this room and you say, I'm not perfect, but I know this, I asked Jesus to save me and he saved me. If that's you, would you raise your hand? How many of you have met Jesus? Amen. Praise God. You put your hands down. Not everybody can raise their hand. That's okay. We're glad you're here. You're seeking after Jesus. You're, you're learning. How many of you, once again, you met Jesus. Raise your hand. How many of you like that? Fantastic. Put your hands down. How many of you that have met Jesus also know somebody who has not yet met Jesus. Would you raise your hand? How many of you like that? Okay, most of us. Yeah, put your hands down. Those who don't, you spend too much time at church. You understand what I mean? All right. You got to get out there. Meet some people who don't know Jesus. And this is what you do. When you know Jesus, you bring people to Jesus. That's what Andrew did for his brother Simon. And Simon then becomes Peter, one of the greatest disciples. No, no, no this. Andrew was one of the disciples. He was not one of the most important ones. <gasps> How could you say that? I didn't. Jesus classified them. In fact, Jesus said that he had three close ones, Peter, James, and John. And then he said among those three, Peter is the rock upon which the church will be built. So Andrew brings somebody else to Jesus and Peter becomes the great apostle. Amazing. Who is it that you might bring to Jesus this next year that will become one of the greatest Christians our society has ever seen? Who? 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 I'm going to be as blunt as I can since my time is up. You call that person friend, the, the coworker, the guy who works for you, the woman who works, that you work for. You call that person friend, they live beside you, they're a family member. You call them a friend, you've known them since high school, you've known them at the gym for the last three years. You call them a friend, but here's the reality. If they died this week, Without knowing Jesus Christ as Savior, they would die and go to hell. And you say they are your friend. You're not their friend. It's the worst kind of enablement. 
Now, I want to go very granular, and I want to get very specific. And I'm going to ask you a question. We're going to, we're going to, I'm going to teammate with the Holy Spirit here. I'm going to ask you a question, and the Holy Spirit of God is going to give you the answer. Watch how this works. This is amazing how this works. How do you know this works this way, Pat, Josh? Because I've done this for many, many years. I'm going to ask a question, and the Holy Spirit is going to give an answer to you. Who is it that you're supposed to bring to Jesus? Who is the name, the face of the person that the Holy Spirit of God is telling you you need to bring to Jesus? Who is it? Who is it? Now, this is what's happening all over the room. The Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and telling you a very specific person that you need to bring to Jesus. How does that happen? Now, you might be sitting there, you're like, nothing's happening for me. All right. This is what you do. You pray. If you're willing, if you're a Christian, pray. And say this to God right now. I'm not kidding. Silently in your heart. You can keep your eyes open. You're not going to get struck down with lightning. Ask God right now. Say, say this to God in your heart. Say, God, nobody's coming to mind. Who do you want me to tell about Jesus? Say it. Now he's bringing someone to mind. You keep praying that prayer. God will be very clear. Look, you're not here in this world <laughs> as a Christian because God wants you to have a good party here. He, you're here so you can represent Christ and bring people to him. So I promise you, if you've been walking with the Lord, the Holy Spirit will begin putting on your heart who you need to bring to Jesus. And it's very simple. You can say this to God. God, who do you want me to give this card to? Take the card out real quick. This is how we'll close. Hold up the card. See the card? This card is not for you. You already know about Easter. <laughs> okay. Hold up the card. Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. You don't want to be the person I point out. Come on. There we go. All right. <laughs> I'm just kidding, kind of. Hold up the card. This is what you need to do. Look at the card and, and, and say, okay, God, who? Now, now listen to me. Listen to me. I love you. Hear me. If the Holy Spirit of God is putting somebody specific on your heart to give this to, and you don't, you are not a friend to them, and you are disobeying God. Or did you just come here to get some laughs? Because I'll give you those, but I'm also going to challenge you to obey God. Okay? You want to talk about being a friend? That's what's being a friend. Let's pray. Father, first of all, I want to pray for those who don't know you who happen to be here today. I'm thankful that they came, and I pray that they would learn more about you. I pray they would understand that what they've witnessed today is a pastor speaking to Christians about our, our faith. I pray now for my Christian friends that we would be good friends to others, especially those that need Christ, that we would reach them with the gospel, bring them to church at least give them the opportunity to know you. These things we pray for the glory of God and for his name's sake. Amen.